some left after this one. Um, but this one is, is, is a short one, um, but it packs a lot of punch. It, it essentially comes to us in these sort of eight lines, um, and the lines sort of mirror each other. Um, the first two are related, the next two are related, the two after that, and so it sort of um, builds in this way. But it's a psalm that begins when Israel came out of Egypt. Now, first off, that is the um, primordial story, the earliest story, the birth story of this nation, of this people, of these people of the book, um, is this way in which they know themselves most clearly as those who came out of Egypt. They know themselves as those who are rescued. Now, one of the things that I think many people feel in modern life is that we wake up to life as if it's already been going. There are some people who view that as a negative, and depending on what part or what story you're a part of, it may be, woke up to a life in which I had no choice for my family of origin and good or ill. I woke up to a, a life in which I had no choice about the way that these things would go or how I would live. I woke up to a life in which I was born in Libertyville, Illinois, and not in beautiful Colorado. Um, uh, we have all these things in which we, in the modern world, I think, think we make our stories. We make who we are, and yet so much of it comes received. Diedrich Bonhoeffer has this beautiful phrase in um, letters and papers from prison, I believe, is that in life it, we are given infinitely more than we give. In life, we are given infinitely more than we give. And in this way, the people of Israel wake up and they are given something. They are given a story that says that they were a people who were in bondage and in slavery, and they were rescued by God. It's that story that um, Shelley read for us this morning, um, the story at the Red Sea in which they are sort of brought from one land, a land of death, a land of destruction, land of slavery, and brought into a land of new life. And it, as I go through the sermon, um, uh, John, John had handed me a podcast that I haven't finished listening to yet, but one of the things they're doing is lining up the way in which um, Israel's story is lived faithfully as Jesus. So Jesus is this one who, who sort of goes out into the wilderness in the same way that they were led out into the wilderness. And he survives the temptations that they fall through. So he, in some sense, um, recapitulates the whole story of what's happened, but in a faithful, perfect way. And so that's sort of one of the ways in which this psalm lines up with what we're going through. Um, as is Israel, as I often say, which did not come up with... Um, uh, so, as many pastors have often said, as Israel is slave from, saved from a land of slavery to the Egyptians, so too the Christian is saved from a land of slavery unto death, in which death is the final word, and death is what really matters. Now, it's been a long time since I used one of my favorite images. Um, this I take the fault of. I cannot blame this one on anybody else in church history because they would have better handwriting. Um, but it's this way of thinking of two times in two ages, is that in some sense what we have in this top timeline, and these are, for lack of my artistic expertise, timelines. There's the time of, of wilderness, of death, and slavery to sin. This is the timeline that many of us feel caught up in. 
And what happens in the rescue, if I can go up here, is, is, is a new timeline is started. Um, for Israel, a new time is started in their rescue from Egypt. A new time begins there. For the Christian, a new time is started in um, first what Jesus Christ did. Um, the theologian Karl Barth has this great phrase. Um, when they asked him when he was saved, he said approximately 33 A.D. Um, um, it's the act of Jesus Christ that does that. But for us, it takes place more in our baptism too, is that we find ourselves moved from this time of struggle with the world, of struggle to slavery and sin and death, and brought into this new timeline, this new time of eternal life, new creation, or in the book of, of in the Old Testament, the promised land, um, this sort of heavenly vision. Now the problem is, as many of us, or the church at, at times and air, has made it seem like there is no overlap between the ages. You pray the prayer, and everything goes perfect in your life after that. You pray the prayer, and you're instantly no longer going to struggle with things of your past. That's true for all of us, isn't it? Um, what happens and what's created in this rescue from Egypt, or what Jesus does in his resurrection, and, and so what begins... Um, for Israel, this story is at the Jordan, which is referenced in today's psalm as well. It ends at the brink of the promised land. But because that story is a figure of the full story, the promised land doesn't go as it planned. Whereas for the Christian, this story, the timeline of the destruction of the world and its sows and slavery and such, ends um, with the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. And then it is us, for us then, who live on that timeline to have eternal life. Um, hopefully this, this makes sense to some degree um, in the ways in which uh, the greatest part of it, or not the greatest part, but the, but the truth of it is we reside in sort of that middle spot where we are people of the new time. Because what God has done in Jesus Christ, having previously rescued Israel out of Egypt, we have been sowed into a new way of being, a new way of life, and yet we are also a people who um, have strong pulls um, to that old time. One of the ways this shows up in the Old Testament is when the people are led out into the wilderness. They're freed from their slavery to Pharaoh, but they're struggling with this wilderness journey, which we... <laughs> if we're honest, are struggling with this journey too as we await that fullness of what God is going to do. As they're struggling with the wilderness journey, they go to themselves and they say, back in Egypt, although we were beaten and slaves, we at least had garlic. And it's easy for us to judge, but as one who's been rescued by Jesus Christ, who's been brought into a new time and a new way of being, sometimes it's easy to say, I know that um, that addiction, that pattern behavior, that slavery to something might have resulted in the hangover every day, or the pain of something, or the loss of some human relationship, but at least it brought me some comfort for the time that I had it. So too, as we exist in, in that, that box there, we find ourselves drawn between two times. We draw ourselves from the time in which we um, had ritually buried in our baptism but still lives in us as the old Adam. And that time in which the spirit animates, 
and we find ourselves drawn into new patterns and into new life. And this, I think, describes a lot of where we are. What's amazing about the psalm, one last thing with this image I'll never let die and refuse to fix, um, is, is this psalm begins with Egypt. In the middle, it has, uh, this will come back at the end of the, in the middle of the psalm, it references Jordan too right at the start, which is where this, this point at coming into the promised land. And it ends with the waters that God provided in the middle. It ends with that water being struck. And so, what does this mean for us as we find ourselves drawn into these movements? And again, in the, in the gospel story, it looks somewhat differently. Um, I, I don't know who said it, but history doesn't rem- uh, repeat itself, but it rhymes. Um, this is not history in the sense, but salvation between what happens in Israel and what is fulfilled in Jesus Christ is not an exact repeating, but it rhymes. It is the story, in some sense, repeating itself faithfully as Jesus as that faithful Jew. And faithful one, I should say. It's important that Jesus is a Jew, but if I say faithful Jew and you're like, yeah, we're not like that, you forgot about the box again. (laughs) Um, um, We have those patterns. um, And so, when we went through the book of Numbers, it is the Lord's way, I think, of doing therapy for a people this 40 years in the wilderness, that those things have to die and go away. To go from abusive places, dark places, addiction, or this, and to instantly be transformed into a perfect relationship or into freedom or something like that is a deep, hard, difficult transition. When I was a CASA, we would help kids who struggled with food dependency issues. And they would go into houses that had food, had food all the time. And they would wake up in the middle of the night, take all the food, eat half of it, and hide it throughout the house. You can't instantly move from a life bound by certain things within or without your control. I mean, there are things we willingly give ourselves to as well into a life of freedom without a time of undoing those patterns. One of the ways we worked through that problem was we would give the child a backpack. And we'd say, every time something goes out of the backpack, something goes back in. Every time you eat something, it is replenished. In some sense, to build the trust in them that while you lived in a house of scarcity, while you lived in a house where you had to fight and tangle ever right and morsel, this is a house of abundance, of sharing. And so when something disappears, it's not the only one. It's replaced. Now, uh, that isn't a metaphor for our own um, rescue in some ways. You know, the scarcity mindset, the need to control, the need to know that there's more there, um, I think captures a lot of things. But back to the eight lines. <laughs> um, the psalm, like I said, takes place in sort of these eight lines. And what's interesting is the way it um, talks about this event, and it's revealed who caused this event at the end. It talks about Israel, who came out of Egypt. Jacob, from a people of a foreign tongue. This is the, um, 
uh, NIV translation um, is this story is one that's being brought to the present for the Jew and for um, Jesus is our Passover lamb this deep connection to Passover. Jesus doesn't die on the Day of Atonement, as many of our theories of how the cross works would prefer. He dies on the Day of Passover, which means he dies on the day in which there is this movement from one realm to another realm in which we are freed from, from tyranny to life, where we are brought across these waters into new patterns and ways of being. That's the way in which Jesus lives. And so this psalm is part of the Passover liturgy. But what happens in the Passover, and for the church communion is a part of a passover liturgy that what they came together that night to celebrate um, is past events are brought to the present to tell us who we are and brought in a way that they are um, incorporative of who we are even though we weren't there again many of us feel like we woke up to a life that wasn't of our choosing you can feel that as a curse, but to hear the Passover story, tyranny, Pharaoh, slavery doesn't have the final word. Rescue is a part of who you are. Miraculous rescue through what God did at that day. Corporate identity that goes beyond the individual meant a lot more in the ancient Near East and in pre-modern times. Um, there's some, I think, today is that if it didn't happen to me, then it probably didn't happen to anyone. Um, we live in a very narrow frame of life. And yet, and I think we go further and further down that road, I think, as we get more and more modern, or if you want to say postmodern, you can pick your term of choice. But we, we go more and more down that road of this autonomous self is the full story. And yet Israel, to be a part of the people of God in the church, is to be a part of a story that's larger than who you are, that stretches back into the past, and has this hopefulness that stretches into the future. As Emily um, introduced the service, we have, um, when we talk about faith, we often talk about it as a past virtue. We talk about hope as our future virtue. There are people who can have faith because of what God has done in the past. Where people can have hope because of what God is going to do in the future. Now, this first line um, has two interesting parts, uh, more than that, but I only know of two of them. Uh, <laughs> Jacob from a people of a foreign tongue. That's a nice way of saying what, um, as I read several Jewish translators this week, they were fine with saying barbarians. Um, that, that the... Jews were freed from people whom language was noise. It was grunting, it was guttural, it was lost. They didn't understand each other. So it's not like, um, the psalm is not saying, look, we were freed from um, France and brought into Spain. Um, these are just two different languages. What they're saying is they're brought from two different entire worlds, two different ways of understanding themselves. And as the Jewish translators go with barbarian there, um, for the Christian and for the Jew, these aren't just past acts, but what are the ways in which we are freed from a foreign tongue? One of the ways in which we've talked in the sermon series, and part of this comes from Eugene Peterson, is in the ways in which our world is so bound by noise. 
It is so loud. It is so bombarding all the time. Children downstairs are, I think, still learning Psalm 23, that he leadeth me beside still waters. To be freed out of being bombarded all the time. To be able to have a spot with this God. In one of the earlier psalms we did, um, um, to have stillness, um, to know that there's something beyond us, to know that there is the Lord, and to be transformed in that way. And in our bombardment, there are things that want to distort the soul and want us to bring into the distortion of the souls of others. The noise doesn't just come at me from the outside, but sometimes it can take up residency and I can look at other people as if they're objects for consumption as well. We can become our own agents of tyranny as well. We see this in some of Israel's stories too, in which um, they turn on each other on the way to freedom. God calls the people out of a noise society, out of a foreign tongue that can say, and this is, I think, true as we live in our world, too, that down is up and up is down. You can be confused, the bedrock of what you know. What God leads them out to be, this is sort of the second point, is to become God's sanctuary, Israel's dominion. Freed from a world of noise, noise of abuse, noise of a world of um, idolatry. I mean, one of the things that we can think about, and we'll get to this with the nature in the next two parts, but um, one of the geniuses of Israel's monotheism is that there's a claim in which God is God of all of us, and there aren't gods that we can use to align against each other. The God of, of famine, or the God of provision for food, is in some sense at war with the God of the God of flood, and we can build rival teams to sort of work this out. Now that is um, characteristic of maybe the ancient world, but even as I said that, I mean, maybe some of you noticed, oh, we still do that today. <laughs> um, I have this team, you have that team. We have this way of understanding shalom and peace. It comes through the sword, it comes through more of the sword, it comes through... Um, uh, forgiveness for the Christian. Uh, we have these different ways of knowing these things, but, but what Israel is invited into in this wilderness and this place is transformed into is the place of the one God's sanctuary and his dominion. Israel as the church is called to be a nation of priests, a nation of this different kingdom. And if you want to get into Abraham's story, this blessing isn't so that you can just be blessed. The earliest, one of the earliest blessings, there's one or two others, but one of the earliest blessings that's characteristic of Israel is we will be blessed so that we will be a blessing to others, so that all the nations may be blessed from you. We're called into God's sanctuary, this place of stillness and rest, of freedom from all the other gods, of the stillness and way of being, freed from the scarcity. I mean, you could imagine, this often happened with kids with the backpack scenario who did have siblings, that you can begin to share. I have a bag that replenishes itself. Let me share some of what I have with you. 
This blessing isn't just a blessing for ourselves so that we can be a blessing to others as God's kingdom and dominion and sanctuary. So in the first one, we had the retelling of the Passover. In the second one, we had the story of the sanctuary, of God making Israel into the sanctuary on earth. The sea looked back, the sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back. The mountains leaped like, leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. In the story that Shelley read for us, it is not the sea that turns back, but Pharaoh's army. But what the psalmist is trying to show is what God's mighty act is doing in creating these new people is something that's reflected throughout all of creation. We've talked several times in the psalm series about how sea is this primordial chaos, this sort of antithesis to the order that God wants to bring in the world. And so when Israel is freed, that is turned back. When people at the church are invited into the new life that God has for us, the disorder of the world is torn back. When we worship and pray, the sea is turned back. The Jordan, I said, we were going to hit on. The Jordan is when they are about to enter into the promised land. It's one of these last acts with Joshua in which the or Jordan is turned back as well. Again, this psalm sort of stands at the pivot of the birth of Israel, at the fulfillment of the land, and will end in the middle. Um, but then the mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. In other psalms, when things are chaotic, there's this idea in which will the mountains fall into the sea? Will everything be destroyed? Will everything fall apart? And that shaking of the mountains is this act of terror. And in the freedom of a people, playfulness is what's exhibited in the mountains. The mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. Creations resounding with what God has done in this is a joyous movement throughout creation. An exuberant joy. It's the type of joy that um, uh, David, the kids got the Bibles today because we do that marking um, third grade, reading, all these other things. If you have a third grader who wants a Bible, we'd be happy to get them one. If you have a kid who missed it, We'd love to get them one, too. Um, we try to do our best to keep up on that. But um, uh, I told David, I said, look, you're more sentimental than I am. And I mean that as a compliment. Um, because if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, what do you mean? Um, uh, creation exhibits a joy we might be embarrassed of. Um, to have leaping to have dancing, to have play because of what God has done. Um, God will, in some sense, someday melt my heart of non-sentimentality and bring me into that joyous spot. But in the meantime, I have David. Um, thanks be to God. Sea and mountains enjoy in the next two lines. Um, then the psalmist asks, why was it sea that you fled? Why Jordan did you turn back? Why mountains did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? Why did this happen? What causes the chaos to go back? What happens to bring the joy into the world? What happens to bring these witnesses in creation into God's work? 
What makes nature and geography turned into a place of liturgy is what Eugene Peterson says. They join in this march. What is it that brings that about? These are the two questions the psalm asks, but then it ends, tremble earth in the answer at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob who turned the rock into a pool, the hard walk into springs of water. Tremble, earth. We, the church, the people who hear this psalm, invited to be a people who tremble at the presence of the Lord. I think in one sense, there were, there were commentators who wanted to say, um, to be brought into this playfulness, to be brought into this, this joyousness at the presence of the Lord. And again, what's interesting is, Earth, not Israel, is proclaimed here. This is a message that isn't just for the select few. This is a message that's supposed to resound throughout the earth. Tremble, there's this notion of fear, too, and awe and respect within it. Tremble at this presence, the one who brought the sea of chaos of destruction that is sown in our own creation and often sown in our own lives, the one who has turned that back, let us tremble before that one. The one who causes the most stable things that in shakenness we are worried that they're going to fall apart, the mountains, but in joy they leap. The one who causes that, let us tremble, earth, before that one. Yet this final line, um, the place I want to end today, um, this, this answer at the end, Rachel read for us from the Gospel of Luke, I do want to say, which was fitting quite with giving the Bibles, as Jesus opens the scriptures with his two disciples on the road, and he says, these things, um, they don't recognize him. And he says, these things tell of everything that's happened to me. And the disciples' hearts burn with joy within them that he meets. And they asked him to spend the night, and he spends the night. And in the breaking of the bread, they recognize him, but as he's disappearing. And there's this beautiful moment of absence and presence mixing together that I think about often. I've never found a way to articulate it other than that as, as his absence is, is happening, the presence is becoming aware of him is who he is. It's um, like negative space, you know, in art, how negative space makes present the thing. It's, it's this breaking of the bread, which we do every Sunday in a rep, retelling the Passover story, is that makes this absence presence thing sort of real. Um, uh, and so that's why we read that. Um, I don't know why that had connected to do with this, I think. Uh, oh, the psalm um, does that too. It has this absence presence thing in it. Is that it's described all these acts, and it isn't until these verses, until it describes the one, the one whom these are attributed to. And so it is um, for us, I think. The beauty of this psalm is that it meets us in the middle. If you wanted to go back to my timelines, we know that we have been rescued. Israel was brought out of Egypt. We know that those patterns and those ways of being are failing and fading. We too stand in hope of that Jordan day. And the fulfillment of all things shall be. And those patterns of destruction sown will be healed. There shall be no more tears. And the Lord will comfort us in that place. 
in the midst of that, it tells us this, uh, this psalm does weird things with time. This one who turned a rock on that journey into a pool of water, the hard rock into springs of water. In the midst of that middle time, the psalm gives us a memory. God is a God who before the end, but after the beginning of this thing, gives you water on the journey of life. And though, as um, it's so weary, I, I think many of us can feel the weariness between those two. The joy of being um, redeemed and reconciled to the act and the hope of the future that we await. As I said last week, my, the pastor at my last church would often pray the words from the ends of the book of Re- Revelation, even now Lord, come Lord Jesus. God has water for us in the midst of life. God meets us here and gives us drink. Or, for our church, we enact that Passover as well to remind us of what God has done. In the words of 1 Corinthians, to proclaim what he is going to do when he comes again. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. God, you have given us this psalm to instruct and guide us into life. To one, look back and to see your mighty acts in rescuing us from the land of uh, tyranny of sin and death, addiction and abuse. And to begin us on our journey to that land on the other side, the heavenly land, the new creation, that day we await at the Jordan Stir in our hearts the joy that is reflected in the mountains. Give us awe to tremble at the chaos of the sea turned back, the forces of destruction fading. Why did those things happen? What made it through? Not our ingenuity, not our beauty or strength or power. Tremble before the Lord. Tremble all the earth. So to God, meet us in the service of praise and of word and of liturgy and life that we may have rock melted into water along the way. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Abraham, 